all of us to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be working our way through that tonight, uh, but I'm going to continue with another prayer, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you revealed to us in your word and the opportunity we have now to draw more closely to you uh, and to understand you more clearly. We pray that you will guide our hearts and our minds to, to know you better, to draw closer to you today, uh, that we live here deeper in our understanding and our relationship with you. We pray that what is said and done here tonight uh, is done uh, in your name and for the glory of your kingdom. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, what I'd love you to think about as we start, I want you to think about a, a life-changing moment that has occurred in your life. Uh, every single one of us has, at some point or another, had one of these. It could be you received great news. It could be you received bad news. It could be you made a decision. Uh, we all have moments in our life where the direction or the course that we are heading is changing. It could be we receive a new job, we, we come to a realization about something. A big one for me was I decided about five years ago I was going to lose a lot of weight. Uh, and in the long run, I ended up losing about 30 kilos. I put most of it back on. I think I'm at, I'm at 10 kilos now. I lost 10 kilos officially. Uh, but it was a big change, and it was a decision that took a lot of effort. And one of the key things about real change, that true change in our lives, is that it's ongoing and it's permanent. There's little changes like our haircut uh, and other things like that, but there's big changes in our life where who we are as a person, what defines us, changes. When I decided to lose weight, everything about me had to change. I had to focus more on what I was eating. I had to be aware of what I was eating. I had to know how many calories was in all the different types of food. I had to know how much I'd eaten that day. I had to cut out food groups. I had to change my life. And if you want to know the secret to weight loss, it's changing your life. I don't mean that in some deep and meaningful way. It's changing your eating habits. Change is often permanent. But change is also noticeable. When you change, when you really change, people notice. It could be that you are happier. It could be that you are sadder. It could be a physical change. It could be an emotional change. It could be a confidence change. But when you really change, people notice. We're looking at the book of Colossians, and it's a letter addressed to the church in a place called Colossae. Uh, and as Stuart told us last week, it was kind of a nothing town. Uh, it's maybe a little offensive, but you can kind of think of it like Appen. It's, it's not a bad town. It's not a good town. It's just kind of there. And you might drive through it on the way to Wollongong or whatever. I think it has a nice bakery. I'm not sure. But it's kind of a... Colossae was a town that wasn't really eventful. And yet there was this change brought about in the people of this church that Paul the Apostle noticed. And what's amazing about this is that we actually have now in history a written acknowledgement of this town because of the change that occurred there. As we'll read from verse 3, we see the change that Paul has noticed. Starting from verse 3, it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. The Apostle Paul had noticed 
a change in the place of Colossae. And he describes this change in a few different ways. He, he, first of all, he describes the change as being about their faith and love. And it's a faith and love that is noticeable. Uh, it's an interesting thing to understand that this idea that the faith that they have has now motivated them to show love to God's people. Uh, it's kind of sad that we live in a world where somehow faith is often used as a justification to hurt people. And yet what Paul has noticed, what Paul has seen, is how their true faith has brought them love, particularly love for the people of God. Uh, one of the problems with being in long-term ministry is you kind of start to get a little bit competitive with other churches. Uh, and you, you, you don't mean to be, but you start to sort of become a bit frustrated at fellow Christians for no reason other than the fact that maybe they're more successful than you. Uh, and one of the things that I was convicted of as I read this was that true faith comes with faith, comes with love for all of God's people, not the ones that I choose to spend my time with. But it's a faith and love that comes from a hope in the truth. It's a faith and love that is motivated by hope, and that hope comes from the truth. Well, when I talk to teenagers, I used to always ask them, are you excited to go to heaven? Uh, and they would kind of say, yeah, I guess, it's, you know, it's better than the alternative. But then I would ask them again, I'm like, if you had a choice right now to go to heaven tomorrow or to continue living on this earth, what choice would you make? And almost all of them said they would rather stay on earth. And what I'm trying to highlight here is that there's a difference between knowing the truth and knowing the truth. What I mean is, on one hand, you've got, I get to go to heaven. And that is a truth if you believe in Jesus. But on the other hand, you've got this different truth, which is Jesus Christ has paid my debt. He has taken my sins on the cross, a, a, a fee that I could never, ever hope to pay with any of my efforts. And I now stand as God's adopted child, getting to share in his eternal glory in a place where joy and passion is beyond anything I could imagine. That is the truth that has brought about the Colossians' hope. And that hope has brought in them faith and love. It's not a hope of vagueness or just the basic concept of hope being a motivator. It's a hope that is grounded in a real truth. A truth. And that is really important that we acknowledge the word truth here. Because it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, I believe it is relevant, but it doesn't matter if, if this, the message of new life is relevant. What matters more is that it's true. Because its truth makes it relevant. Because its truth brings salvation. And then he describes this hope that has spread throughout the whole earth. And I love it. He kind of uses this idea that fruit is spreading in Colossae just as it is spreading throughout the whole world. And there's kind of this imagery almost of a great planting of fruit across the world, a vineyard, a, world, a global vineyard. This image of faith and hope of love spreading across the world. This is the change that Paul has noticed in the Colossians. When we notice a change in someone, we tend to politely acknowledge it. We go, nice haircut, those are nice shoes, you've lost some weight, you seem happier, you seem sadder. And that's kind of where we go with our acknowledgement of change. Uh, what I love in this passage, though, is that Paul, first he acknowledges the change, but then he encourages them to change more. 
And we read this in 1 Colossians 9. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I just want to stop here for a moment just to look at that first bit in red. We have not stopped praying for you. Uh, The Apostle Paul has never met these people. He has never had a conversation with this church. Uh, What we're told is that Epaphras, Epaphras, it's actually easy to read in Greek. Anyway, Epaphras has shared the gospel with them and he has come from somewhere else. Paul has never met them and yet we hear that he prays continually for strangers. I don't even pray continually for myself and yet Paul is praying continually for people he's never met. He does a really good job, I think, of making me feel very inadequate in the way that I live my life by showing the passion that he has for the people of God. And I was thinking it's a good encouragement for us to consider, are we praying continually for the people of God? Are we driving, when we drive by a church as we're out and about and we don't know much about the church, we just see that it's a church, do we think maybe I should pray for that church? that I should pray that the Spirit of God fills it and that his fruit continues to grow. Paul prays continually for people that he's never met. And he prays for continued change. And he says this, he says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul prays that they will be filled with the knowledge of his will. He wants the people of Colossae to know God more. And what he's really praying for here in this moment is he is praying for spiritual intelligence. He is praying for spiritual knowledge and spiritual wisdom. And the best way to define this for you is is spiritual wisdom or knowledge or intelligence is understanding who God is, who you are, what God has done for you and how God relates to you and how you should relate to him as you live in this earth. That is spiritual knowledge. A better way to think of it is knowing God's will is spiritual intelligence. And that can be a little bit difficult for us because I think in Western culture, we love to know things. I personally love to know lots of random little facts and Naomi can tell you I share a lot of useless information. We love to know things, we love to research, we like to study, we love to know every little bit about everything. And so we'll ask questions like, can God microwave a burrito so hot that he couldn't eat it? Could he make a stone so heavy that he couldn't lift it? Who made God? We'll ask these deep, meaningful questions, these these deep, purposeful questions, and some of them have great and awesome answers. And if you want to know the answer to some of those questions, I would encourage you to consider coming along to Jesus for the Curious, because it's a great opportunity to have those kind of questions answered. But there's other stuff in the Bible that God doesn't address, that God doesn't talk about. And some of that is because it's not relevant to our life. And I used to actually say to teenagers when they asked some of these questions, how is knowing the answer to this going to help you live for God tomorrow? And the real answer is it won't. Spiritual intelligence is not about knowing everything. It's about knowing God's will. And that will is found in his word through prayer. As we read God's word, as we pray for guidance, he will let us know his will for us. 
Now, this spiritual, Paul prays that, the spirit, that they will have this spiritual intelligence or the spiritual wisdom. And this spiritual intelligence is to help them on their spiritual journey, he says in Colossians 1.10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. It says there, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And the actual verb that Paul uses is the verb to walk. And he uses it all the time in his letters. He uses the idea of, of walking for God. And it's, this great, and it's a great kind of way to think of it. It's not so much about necessarily just living. It's about being on this continual, ongoing journey. We are walking towards a destination. And that destination is God. So Paul is creating this imagery for us of, of a continual spiritual journey as we walk along this life. And you actually see that expressed later on in the book of Colossians. He talks about this idea of, I look towards the goal and I hope to achieve it, but I'm still going. Now, I won't say much more about it because I don't want to ruin it for whoever preaches on that. But there's this constant theme throughout Paul's letters of walking and journey and traveling spiritually. Knowing God's will as we walk is important. Knowing, having the spiritual intelligence helps us with our spiritual journey. It helps us, first of all, as Paul has said in this verse, to live a life that is pleasing to God. Uh, how often do we get up in the morning and actively make a decision to please God? How often is the first thought in our mind, what can I do today to please God? If I'm 100% honest, my first thought is often, I need to go to the bathroom or I want to go back to sleep. That's generally what my first two thoughts are in the morning, and yet what Paul wants them to do is that he wants them to walk to actively please God. We are told that God is the most important thing. He is the one that we should be trying to please. Uh, Jesus and the apostles, especially Paul, and more than even more so Jesus, are the polar opposite of a lot of self-help techniques today because they lived entirely sacrificially for someone else. Uh, the message of today's world is that it's about you. It's about getting your life right first. And yet Paul and Jesus lived completely for someone else. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father to save us and Paul submitted to Jesus continuously. Now, I want to be careful. I don't want to diminish the actual importance of mental self-help care. And we don't want to say that that's not important. It is important to look after ourselves. But when we wake in the morning, who is the person that we are hoping to please on that day? Is it our boss, our friends, ourselves, or is it God? And pleasing the Lord, walking this journey, pleasing the Lord, bears fruit. The actions that you do for God have real consequences. Uh, Paul's already used this imagery of fruits, and the idea of fruit simply is that when you, when you work and serve God, you grow his kingdom. And a, a way to think about it is that if you have a real faith in Jesus, you are, by default, an international gardener. Your job now is to go and grow the fruit of this world. That is, to share the message of new life to does anyone know the saying? Oran Park, Great Southwest, for their salvation. It's just 
and for the good of the community. Stuart knows it. I should probably learn it better too, but I was hoping someone else would bail me out. But Stuart doesn't make us say that because it's, it's, it's catchy. It's true. It's the, the goal of the human Christian existence is to grow the fruit of God's kingdom. That is what we are here to do when we walk on our journey for the Lord. That means sharing the message of new life, thinking about pleasing God, and oh, sorry, not thinking, but actively trying to please God. And then finally, growing in our knowledge of God. Uh, one of the things that you may have noticed if you've ever done a university degree is that you finish your university degree and realize that you don't know a thing about what you've been studying for the last four years. Uh, you go into your career and they're like, do you know anything? And No, not really. Um, Many of you can attest to that, and it's true because it's not because you were, I mean, it might be because you weren't paying attention at university, but I think one of the main reasons is that as you study and as you learn, you start to realise how, how much more there is to learn in this world. Anyone who's ever done the PTC course will realise that they've just, they've just scratched the surface and there's so much more to go. And I've talked to more college students who have graduated and talk about how little they felt they knew when they left college. The point I'm getting at here is that our knowledge of God will never, ever be complete. It is a continual journey to find and discover God. It is ongoing, never-ending. There's an old saying, and I really enjoy it. It says, the fool yells loudly while the wise man listens quietly. Our goal is to continue growing in knowledge of God. It's not as if God gives us the training, gives us a bag, sends us out, and we don't need to come back. It's, it's ongoing. It's continual. His Word is forever teaching us. There's a lot to do here. And it can be a bit confronting to think about all the expectations that are upon us. Uh, and so it's really important as we do this and as Paul teaches us, that we have spiritual endurance. And he says this in, in 111, if you'll look with me. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh, some of you who may be being paying attention this week, well, we will be paying attention, but some of you may have heard this week of, of a big Christian figure in America uh, who's been a big part of American Christian culture for a long time, uh, came out this week and announced that he is giving up his faith and he's leaving his family. And that is awful, horrible news for us to hear as the people of God. It is a tragedy. And I share that with you, not to gossip, but to highlight how even the strongest and the best of us can slip away. Even the people that seem the most equipped can fall. Paul wants the Colossians, he wants us to be strengthened, to have endurance and patience. And there's a big difference here between strength and endurance. Uh, Strength in its most basic form is how much you can lift. Endurance is how long you can lift it for. Uh, My older brother, he was really into fitness gym culture for a a long time. And he used to always tell me that if you were wanting to lift weights, you needed to get both endurance and strength. Uh, And the best way that you could do that was to, if you wanted to build endurance, you would get little weights and you would lift them regularly, quickly. And that would help you build up endurance. 
If you wanted to build strength, you would get heavier weights and you would lift them slowly, and that would build your strength. And both were necessary. And as I was thinking about this this morning, I was trying to think about what, what's, the, what's, the modern, what's the Christian equivalent of the strength versus endurance? And I think the big thing, the big strength activity for all of us is the, the coming to church and the going to Bible study, sorry, life group, and the, the going to those big Christian things. They're our, they're our moments of strength. They're our big lifting exercises. They build us up. They fill us with encouragement and excitement. Our little endurance exercises are our everyday interactions with the Lord. The times that we put aside to read his word, to pray. Those are our little moments of endurance. Those are our endurance trainings. Uh, I'm a big fan of The Amazing Race. I don't know if any of you have ever watched it. Uh, We watched an Aussie version about 10 years ago. And they started off and one one of the competitors was a massive buff guy. He was a bodybuilder. That's the word. He was a bodybuilder. And if you learn anything about bodybuilders, is they're actually not very fit. Uh, They can lift something once, and then that's all that they can do, because their endurance is tanked. And so they competed in this tug-of-war contest, and they thought they had the big tough guy, they're going to win, and they started off winning, but then he got tired and actually lost. Now, this is all sort of lots of metaphors. The point I'm getting at with all of these metaphors is that we sometimes focus so much on the strength that we forget about those little moments where we should be praying and asking God for strength, where we should be praying and asking God to be with us, where we should be reading his word and praying that he will guide us. Uh, Number eight of our circle here at New Life is endurance. It's an ongoing, never-ending process. I don't know if Stuart did it on purpose. I should probably ask you before I keep saying this and haven't actually asked you about it. But it's a, I don't even notice, guys. It's a circle. It's a donut, apparently. Okay. <laughs> According to Darren, it's a donut. It's a circle. And what happens with a circle is a circle never ends. We are never strong enough. We are never wise enough. We are never knowing enough. We are constantly circling and circling. And the great thing about that is that sometimes our endurance will fail. And if it does, we know that we can reconnect and that through Christ we can keep going. It's interesting as you look at verse 11, uh, you're expecting Paul to talk about how we will get this strength or what the point of this strength is for. And then he, he, but he suddenly goes on, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a bit of an unusual kind of way to end this section. It's like Paul has suddenly kind of just gone off on a tangent. And if you read it quietly, sometimes it can feel like that. But I think one of the best ways to think about the way Paul writes is to imagine a man walking around and, and pacing excitedly, narrating what he wants written to a scribe. Because that's often how Paul would write his letters. Uh, he often had a scribe who would help him. Um, what's cool about the book of Colossians is that we know he signs the end of this book. He, he writes the final greeting. But I want you to imagine for a second that what's actually happening here in verses 12 to 14 is he's suddenly just gotten so excited 
that he's, he's just gone off it. So it's like, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in his kingdom of life, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And he's really excited about it. So should we. He's really excited about the redemption that we have. All of this, all of this hope, all of this walking, all of this endurance comes from the expectation of redemption in Christ. That we are spiritually redeemed. We have spiritual redemption. Christ has brought us, he has taken us from the realm of darkness, from the authority of the darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of light. I don't know if you know this, but the word redeemed actually more accurately means to purchase a slave's freedom. If you were a slave in the ancient world, the only real way that you could receive freedom was that if someone willingly paid your cost with their own money. What we see here is that Christ has paid for us to be taken from the realm of darkness, the slavery of sin that brought us into the freedom of life in him. We are saved. We are spiritually redeemed. So Paul, he wants the Colossians to grow in their spiritual knowledge. And he wants that spiritual knowledge to guide their spiritual journey. And that spiritual journey is strengthened by God's spiritual endurance. I didn't mention it then, I've skipped the point, sorry, but one of the key things of that verse is that all of God's endurance, all of the strength and power comes from God's might, not from our own work. And the spiritual endurance is motivated by our spiritual redemption in Christ. What I'm trying to say is that we are spiritually changed in the work of Jesus. Who we are has and should continuously change. Our first reading came from Psalm 32, and I just want to read to you a few verses from it, from verses 1 or 2 and verses 10 and 11. He says this, he said, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. My biggest conviction when I read this part, when I read Colossians and when I read this psalm, it's not necessarily that I need to change so much, it's that I need to be joyful. Because Paul is so excited for what is happening. Uh, I shared this morning, I was so excited when the Avengers movie came out this year. I was very excited. I was, I was so excited when the new Star Wars movie came out a few years ago. That was just, oh, I was just ready to go. And yet, Paul is excited for something much better, for something much more exciting, for something that is true and real. That excitement is what should drive us it's what should pull us towards doing what God wants us to do. Are we seeking 
spiritual knowledge? Are we using that knowledge to guide our spiritual journey? Are we relying on God's might to give us the spiritual endurance that we need? Are we changed by the joy of our spiritual redemption? We are changed. And that joy is what should pull us towards continuously walking our lives for Christ. Let me finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we stand redeemed as your children adopted into your kingdom, that we are forgiven from our sins and that they are no longer held against us. Lord, we pray that you will help us to walk this life in service to you, to honour you in what we do, to seek knowledge as we journey, and to seek strength to endure. We bring all this before you in Jesus' name. Amen.